1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 178. Guys, we have a bunch of live shows coming up. Please come out and support them. I know uh, someone hit me to the notion that people have been complaining on message threads outside of the Nerdist Podcast. AV Club! That, uh, how come I have to sit through that bullshit at the beginning of the podcast where Chris just promotes stuff? Uh, well i I do I want you to know that I do believe your time is valuable, so i don 't want you to think that i'm just trying to monopolize it by making you listen to stuff that I think you should know about it. This is really so that we can always keep the podcast free so Um, don't think that I'm taking advantage of you. I I just, you know, we want to promote stuff because our live shows help supplement, you know, all the stuff that we do at Nerdist Industries and the sponsorships help us keep the podcast network going really so that they can always be free to you. So just know that I know that it is an investment of your time, but it's never more than like Three-ish minutes. Uh, so if you can if you can sit through that, uh, then I I greatly thank you and uh, I and I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, that that's our little exchange, I suppose. Uh, that's our dirty, dirty back alley exchange <laughs> for the podcast. Hey, you want to listen to a podcast? Let me tell you about stuff for three minutes. Like Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high quality website or blog. Uh, You can get a free trial, 15% off your new account for six months if you go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code NERDIS3. It's an easy-to-use UI for creating and managing a website or blog for beginners, CSS, experts, uh, any level of skill that you have for building websites. Hundreds of design templates to choose from, and there's an iPhone, an iPad, and Android app available to update your blog on the go. Online resources and special support team give you personal help 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And now, Squarespace offers free live classes to help all level of experience, just check out those classes. At workshops.squarespace.com. So for your free trial, sign up for your free account. No credit card needed. Just try it out and start building your website. Then, if you decide to purchase, use the offer code NERDIST3 and get 15% off for six months. That's squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST3. And now this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Oh my God this this is one of the this is one of the ones that I had been wanting forever, and I never knew how it was going to happen because I had never really met these guys, um, the Johns. And then it finally just all worked out. I went up to perform. We went to do our podcast at SF Sketchfest, and I kind of branched off and went up to Santa Cruz and saw uh, Jonathan Colton open for They Might Be Giants. And. I got to talk to uh, John and John before the show, right after their sound check, and then we got a little—we uh, got a song. If you stick around, there's a song from their sound check, uh, from their new album, uh, which I thoroughly recommend you pick up. It came out last year. It's called "Join Us" and is available now wherever you buy digital or in your hands music. So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast, episode number one seventy-eight, <laughs> with two of my friggin' idols, uh, John Linnell and John Flansberg. They might be giants. They might also be really nice. Which they were.
2: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: I think that sounds all right. I'm no sound engineer,
3: but I'm picking up sound. If you can hear sound, I like your, the uh, the
1: design of this thing. It's very pretty. Yeah, it shoots out sort of a triangulation of it'll blanket the room. Sure. If you're in this here, uh, and it sounds usually sounds pretty
3: good. Does and it make th- things? Does it make? Does it sound really roomy? It sounds roomy right now. Yeah. Should we? Is that is that good for your purposes? I think it's okay. Or should we get cozier to it somehow?
1: Just all... Right, you know, like, right. Like yep, the, right. like the Andrews. I've piece. just had some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think I it'll be fine. I hope you've had some, too. I think it'll be fine. We are, uh... We are in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz... I'm recording, by the way. I just started That's fine. recording. Yeah. I am so fascinated by Santa Cruz. It is relatively untouched by time. But wait, are you from here? No. You're I from mean, Los Angeles, Yes, right? I live in L.A. And I haven't... It's. I was in downtown Santa Cruz no chain stores the most recent chain store was a gap everything else locally owned right you know a few
3: years ago we did a you know uh, we did a rock festival in way way upstate new york uh, called mo down which uh-huh. is like organized by the band mo which is like one of these jam bands yeah and it was a really interesting sort of uh challenge to just play for well they you know those audiences really are in, they're really into improvising obviously but they're also really into sort of like uh you know organized musical chaos kind of ideas and that was a a nice crossover for us but um when you look at the crowd there'll be you know thousands and thousands of people and no there are no logos on any of the shirts which is like (laughs) it's this very subtle thing that you wouldn't you wouldn't might not even think you would notice but when you actually see a crowd where there's nobody wearing like the old navy shirt or the pearl jam shirt or the whatever shirt
1: it's actually, it's actually really uh, n- kind of notable. And if they're wearing like a Loverboy shirt, they didn't pay two hundred dollars for it uh, in a fashion they, store. They actually are the original
3: owner. The, well, they don't believe. I mean, the, culturally, it's a it's a group of people who seem to actually not to be kind of anti logo. They are no logo people. Like, it's not. They didn't even
1: sell really sell band shirts at those events. I'd love to. I'd love to have some statistician come in and just start collecting other data points on them to find out. That must there must be a consistent like there must be other weird consistencies like oh that's weirdly related to this. That, well, I think a love of patchouli might, might come up quickly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are uh, we are in kind of patchouli loving territory as well, but we are also in the territory of one Tom Lair who mm. uh, I guess divides really? his time between because he taught math at UC Santa Cruz. All right. Oh, well, I thought of he was from MIT. He I think he went to MIT. But I know that in the 70s, he taught math and um, musical theater here at UC right. Santa. He got around. Because yeah, we think of him as sort of a Boston figure as well. I actually have a...
3: Uh, you know, he, yeah, he, was, he was a very big presence on the local scene in Boston uh, when I was a little kid. Like, and uh, I have a, a, like a, what essentially seems like a vanity record made by him. Like the record that he sold oh at his gosh. shows. It's, it's a 10-inch... It's ten inch vinyl. You still have that somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's in my kitchen.
1: Oh my god! It's in
3: my stack of ten inch records that are,
1: you know, I only have like fifteen of them, but they're all they're a different size, so they stick out. I have. I think I have his phone number. I have a number that I think is his, and I every year or so I'll look at it and go, I just want to call him and, and just say thanks or hi or ask him if he wants to do the podcast. Right, and I, right. And now I'm in Santa Cruz and I'm really tempted, but I'm too afraid. Hmm. Oh, you can give him a ring. I'm sure. He's in his '80s. I don't want to be like, "Hi, I'm this is a really big man." Is a right, ring. right. What? Who's this now? I don't know. <laughs> I talk like an old man now. From... I think he always no talks like an old man. Yeah, <laughs> you hear those old recordings from even the '40s, and he's like, "All right, today we're going to learn about mathematics." <laughs> right, right. That sort of pan-Pacific. I actually made a list. I, I, I never do this. I, I always just sit down and talk to people, but I made a list for well, you Well, before we launch
3: into the list, let me compliment you on your podcast. I've, I've, I've listened to your podcast for a little while, and I've always been impressed and by your ability to kind of uh, uh, change your uh, mode for whoever you... Like, when you're talking with more serious people, you, you actually get more serious. Oh, wow. And when you talk to, like... You know, people who are sort of easy-breezy, you keep it easy-breezy. And uh so uh I'm really curious what it's going to be like when oh, you right, try yeah, to interview yeah. us. If
2: this is indeed a Rorschach. Because
1: right. if you think we're some yeah. kind of clowns, buddy, <laughs> you're in for a different kind of interview. No, no, no. I'm just going to keep it light and fun. Okay. The year is 1981. So, right. So you don't respect <laughs> us is what you're saying. Yeah, either way, you lose. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm completely honored and flattered that you've even heard of my podcast. You guys are... Pod- I mean, you're pioneers in a lot of respects, but certainly podcast pioneers. I mean, you guys... I think that They Might Be Giants podcast started in 05, right? Were you,
2: um, were we you started doing it the-
1: relatively early on. You know, it, it was it was kind of... Like,
3: I have to say, in many ways, um, uh, you know, I, at, at the risk of running parallel to the, the Al Gore myth, I feel like um, culturally... <laughs> We, we were we were really waiting for the internet to start as a vehicle for a lot of things that that we'd like to do right you know so it's 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 fun to have like kind of you know to to have the world shift in like what feels like our direction
4: well in other words like things like like dial a song yes were in some ways just this you know, this idea waiting for something like the internet that would that would make... It, it really didn't work. make that much yeah. sense then. Now it
3: just
1: seems like, oh, yeah. Well, but yeah. there are those guys who do that thing. Yeah. But Dial-A-Song was, in my opinion, the internet before the internet. Mm-hmm. Before there was, you yeah, know, a commercially viable I guess
3: so, yeah, internet. yeah. I mean, you know, we were really doing what we could, you know, all we could do. I mean, I think it's important to remember before you, before you start thinking, like, we have some greater idea of like how to get somewhere in the world like we were very specifically not being uh, you know uh, courted by record labels or I mean we had we had very little going on so it was like it was very easy to just sit at home and put these songs on a phone machine and it was something we could afford to do we couldn't really you know when we started this band sort of part of the thing of the format was i guess everything is the true answers are always kind of more complicated, like there's more than one level. Like we started working with tape and drum machines, which is a huge artistic decision to make. But it's also like if you're in New York City and you're broke and you're living in a one bedroom apartment, you and you and unless your best friend is a drummer and like lives at his mom's house in the suburbs, you're yeah. gonna have a very difficult time having drums in your band. So like there is part of it that was just
1: made it easier for us also keeping a band together is a huge pain in the ass and having to unload drums and into oh
3: yeah yeah i mean there was a point where we actually over the first couple years of the band we were doing a lot of like showcase not show, yeah showcasey kind of places that makes it that makes it sound like a bigger deal than it was we're doing a lot of like truly crappy places like that would later become like the kind of place that would be like in LA, it would be pay to play.
4: Right. I mean, that was sure. a, oh, right. the experience of a showcase for us is. It wasn't like we're there's playing nobody room. there who's there to see us. Right. Okay. Know? Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like it was just like whoever happens right. to be. It, in wasn't, the,
3: it wasn't like we were playing the China Club. We were playing at these like East Village places. In stand-up, we call those uh, bringer rooms. They're like, uh-huh. Oh, you okay. can right. You know, if you bring ten people, right, you, you can go up. Yeah. So yeah. everybody, you know, we all we all know that that kind of pain. But um, but the thing about like because of those gigs, we were living in Brooklyn. And those gigs were always in Manhattan. We would we we figured out like if we can actually not do like the lady with the van, and could actually get everything in two. If we could just carry it in our hands, then the show would cost like three dollars instead of. You know, so so we actually got we got a, like a really good cassette recorder instead of the real real thing and. I had my guitar and my little amp, and John had his accordion. And that was when John made the move to accordion. Originally, he was playing an electronic keyboard. Mm-hmm. So right. the, even the move to the accordion was kind of a way to kind of get through the world without it being like too too complicated. Did you... You went to Pratt? I went to Pratt, yeah. And what did you study at Pratt? I studied fine arts. I ended up... I actually... Um, evidently, I was just someone was just telling me this recently, they don't let you do this anymore. I, I, I transferred with a... a like a graphic design portfolio, like a commercial artist portfolio, mm-hmm. which I had done for work before I went to Pratt. So I had a really fan, a really good looking portfolio. And then the day I got there, I immediately went into fine arts. So um, because I, I wasn't interested, I didn't want to do that. It's just something that I had done. Yeah. Um, evidently, they don't let you change. It's really hard to get into... I would never have gotten in as just a regular student. I could. I only got in because I had uh, professional experience before. Okay. So, so I kind of bluffed my way in, and then did the switcheroo. What did you uh, What did you study? Other jobs?
4: I went. To, I went to college, uh, University of Massachusetts, for one year, and I did not uh, declare a major during that time. And. Essentially I just took a year off, which is still in effect. You're gonna go back though,
1: right? I don't know. I feel like at this point they should be like,
3: (laughs) here's a degree, you've done okay. Well the mm. University of Massachusetts gave uh, Bill Cosby an honorary doctorate degree in education. I think he should go for that. I'm, listen, not, I'm
4: not sure what good it'll do it'll do me or the school. Don't
1: don't think uh, <laughs> and then you could lord it over everyone in the credits of everything you do. <laughs> like, Dr. Cosby, <laughs> E. D. <laughs> right. right. Doctor John yeah. Linnell. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean
1: he did listen, I'm a huge Cosby fan. He's I I love Bill Cosby. I think what he d- has done for comedy was amazing. But every time I saw Doctor William Cosby in the thing, I was like, "Well, really?" Then well, he's got, he's got like kind of a he, you know, he's got a
3: cultural thing. That's in, true. In those situations, he's speaking. He's speaking to, you know, like a, a politic, kind of a political thing. And he's he is a uh, he is an army of one in many cases. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Those are fun. You know, what's funny is like those records. Like we we grew up with Bill Cosby records. So sure. Like they were part of like you know, and, you know, we. Listen to them like they were, as if they were music. As that's, if they're that's Beatles true, yeah. records. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. very strange now to think of like, uh, I can't imagine listening to a comedy record for mastery. You know, oh, right. Right. it's right. like, <laughs> right. oh Noah. You know, it's
1: like, it's like how you, know, you don't really need to memorize the gaps yeah. in, in the Shaggy Dog Tale. I thing. mean, listen, not 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 to get all like old guy or anything, but well, <laughs> <it, it really, laughs> you're with the wrong crowd if you don't want to get old. That's guy, true. Like, it's really true. You're, you're I mean, right. for, I mean, for me, just because. I mean everyone you know everyone just takes everything for. It's sort of like what you said about, oh, dial a song, everyone sort of takes for granted now, of course you do that but 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 comedy albums in particular were just these it was an industry, a, like this really special thing, and now it it's like you know people yeah. don't really buy comedy albums anymore. yeah,
3: they're just souvenirs now, I guess, you know, and they don't really have any I don't know if anybody's made like a culturally important comedy album, but um I don't know and, and you know I think in a strange way. I mean, I you know, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak for John, but when I think about oh, go ahead. When I when I think about what we're doing, <laughs> what we're doing, I've often wanted to say, and it's it, there's 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 probably there's never a right context to say this, but maybe this podcast is actually the exact right place to say it. It's like uh, something like the I don't know if you're ever familiar with the Firesign Theater. Of course, but you see, like the Firesign Theater are a very strange, especially in their in their psychedelic moment when they were making albums. Those are like not you know if if comedy can exist without punchlines that's what that is right mm-hmm. and it bridges this thing where it's like it's it's a kind of performance art but it doesn't ha- it's 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 so free of pretension right that uh, i mean it's just it's just totally weird you know it's
1: it's completely weird stuff that's interesting you say that so do you feel like that in a way you're expressing some of that with with what you I, I mean well, I think, like, to the yeah. I would say to the extent that that they
4: weren't doing anything that in other words they weren't starting a new genre they were just doing something completely individual mm-hmm. and that's i think maybe that yeah. seemed like a good idea no, it's not that we 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 weren't we don't want to be the fire yeah, yeah, theater. yeah, we're not being but, the fire theater. we're just we're just thinking we don't have to say this is one thing or the other or any particular thing and that in, in a way that was the very nucleus of this project was that we didn't define it to ourselves and we didn't yeah. say what 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 even whether it had to strictly be Recorded music or live or whatever. It's just, it's its what it is and it follows its own logic. I know? guess just to, to,
3: to, to finish why I brought it up is because what's wonderful about them is that, it, especially in that golden 70s moment, is that it exists with no context at all. Like you can't say, I mean, I guess you could say it's like music for heads. Right, right. But as, you know, but we were, we were little kids. Like we, we didn't know anything about drugs or a psychedelic experience. We were just listening
4: to these, Kind of free floating, Right, but it wasn't music. I mean, that, that yeah. I think it was like it was a kind of radio drama, right, or something, you know. But it's just it had the had fact a that comedy it, element, and
3: but it, yeah, I mean, the fact amazing. that it
4: was like it was it was comedy without
3: jokes and sort of uh, for, this I don't know. It, it had this
1: poetics to it. It's crazy. It's just weird yeah. stuff. There's so much. I mean i i, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't ever say like, oh, they might be giants. They're a comedy band, but as a young comedy fan. I the second you got the second I was aware of you, right? I was instantly absorbed and like, oh my god, this is so different than anything. I like it, it just spoke. Yeah, my I language. think that's the thing about
4: it's like it's it, it's always it was always irksome if people said we were a particular thing like you know that we were comic or something because we kind of felt like this great freedom in not defining yeah. what we were doing and and you know it's it's in that sense it, it is really similar to as John was saying like of that that kind of thing which was appealing the great thing about the first and theater was young kids tuning into the to the alternative or what i guess they then called un- underground radio yeah um, at the time would hear it and immediately lock on you you go this is i love this mm-hmm. i don't know what it is and there actually is a thing like that now which i've kind of made become more aware of through my son which is just this world of kind of cultural UFOs on YouTube, you know, that are similarly undefined, un they're not they're not aspiring to anything. They're just individual nuggets of oddball, you know, some of it is humorous, some of it is just, you know, trippy. Yeah. And it, and it's in in a way it's a similar kind of thing. On your way to being Rickrolled. <laughs> right. You will yeah. you will experience many things. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of I mean, it seems like there's a lot of absurd stuff for lack of a better way of defining it, but that's, you know, it, it just exists in this un—un un, kind of unhinged world, right. you know. Um, well, I mean, the world of comedy in general it just seems like it's actually kind of exploding
3: in this, uh-huh. in this way now. Well, it right. is, I
1: mean, there are definitely, you know, like ten years ago, you know, comedy had a bit of a dip. Actually, all through the 90s, comedy had a bit of a dip. Um, and it's definitely coming back now and strengthened by the internet and, you know, I mean, Louis C.K. being able to Sell so many of his comedy special downloads. But does
3: that make Louis C.K. the the radio head of comedy? I mean, like it's just like it's like <laughs> I, I didn't think because, about that. You know, because it just means like yeah, it's good for good for you know he can do that. But can any can anybody but else? No, do that? no,
1: no. You really, I mean, I mean, yes, anyone can can do it. But but only someone who has a following that size already is really going to. And I actually, right. you know, and he's at a very specific moment in his career. It's like
3: you know, t- you know he he is very I mean, obviously he's been working for a long time but he's also enjoying a kind of public notoriety that is is not going to last forever i mean he is the hot guy it's it's a, it's just one
1: of the unfortunate things with or, i mean who knows maybe he'll get No no but bigger. It, but it is one of the unfortunate things with comedy is <laughs> that you know it's you sort of form this relationship with an audience and it's almost of a of a sexual nature where they they're really 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 into it you see it's not like that with music <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was platonic. Tell, it's platonic. Tell, 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 me, tell me more about this com- sex
2: comedy thing.
1: I just think it's that you know, like once they sort. I mean, I guess going back to what to sort of Tom Lehrer is that he did everything sort of backwards to what a, a contemporary or like a modern comedian would do, which is as soon as he would build up and build up and build up, and then to a live performance. And then he wouldn't do those songs anymore. Because he'd go, well, now everyone knows the jokes. Like, once I've recorded them and I've put them out, right. you, can't, oh, right. you can't get them again. Right, right. And so now so much more seems to be sort of in the reverse, where you sort of do the same jokes over, even though people know them and you, you build it out. And I guess, you know, with a comedian, people, once they kind of get your voice, they go, okay, I got it. I'll see that guy once or twice, but I don't really need to go back after that.
3: Right. I mean, I, you know, one of the nice things about music is you have the secret weapon of, like, melody and and that, you know, the hook part of it. People like hearing people, stuff more people, than people once. People like hearing it. again. I mean, when we started in, you know, we started in a very different place than, you know, most bands. We, we were not, a, we were never like a garage band or a local band. Like, we actually started in these clubs in New York City that were pretty pretentious in their own way. Um, we started in performance art spaces, by and large, and we were often kind of the most... Uh, You know the thing with like the high, the. I mean, generosity of spirit was not necessarily running high in these places. There were a lot of things that were, you know, were very uh, confrontational. I am so glad that people have always been judgy. I'm glad that's (laughs) not just a. (laughs) We we have we performed for many audiences where, you know, virtually every person in the audience was, you know, his arms were folded. (laughs) And uh,
1: oh my god, those those I see those people
3: still. Yeah, yeah. So it's so you kind of. A lot of the stuff that we did in the beginning, you know, was um, sort of trying to break that, break that up, you know, kind of make people come, sort of, I, I guess we were confronting people in a
4: way. We were sort of, sort of forcing them to deal with us, but... Um, well, I felt like there was a, an amazingly warm, you know, vibe at those, you know, Dorinka and ABC when we... Well, were. Well, Dorinka was, yeah, yeah that, that was a golden period. What kind of, what other
3: acts
1: were going up around the same time?
3: Well, we, we played on bills with like, I mean, a lot of acts that you don't know, we we, we did shows with Steve, when Steve Buscemi was in a uh, performance art duo, right. we did shows with him, we did we did a lot of double bills with a performance group called Watchface, who were really fantastic, um, and I don't know if their stuff has ever been documented, but if if YouTube ever had a, a purpose, it would be to, to show people yeah, their, what they, they were, were doing. They were terrific. They were, they were really, great. really sharp. Um, we did lots. We played on lots of lots of double and triple bills. There's a place called ABC that had a a big performance piece and then three smaller acts on every single night. So the just the uh, the just the sheer uh, girth of stuff that was happening. We would play there every three weeks, and it was this very hyperactive period in the East Village like '84 to '87, and it was um, getting. It was just. it was sort of that Keith Haring Madonna oh, right, right it was, it was very right, very right, day glow right, you know but those people right. were you know that world was was the immediate local world like it was not it was not weird to be like oh i'm walking down the street and the BC boys are walking down the street like that's sure. that yeah. it was exactly that
1: stuff you know i would think you would be refreshing to uh, a cra- a crowd of like, really, like when people go up and do like really serious uh, performance pieces, and then you guys get up and you're. You well, know, you're believe
4: it or not, a lot of the performance was very uh, lighthearted. You know, there was a funny yeah. thing. To say, it was not like you were in a gallery watching something and everyone had their, their hand on their chin. It was more like there was this kind of amused uh, gaiety to the whole vibe. I mean, particularly Dorinka and ABC, where we were playing, I felt like. You'd see something, and and there was just like kind of a good vibe, and and drinks were being served, you know. So it was it, it had a kind of a. It was very cabaret. Yeah, it had a very pleasant uh, vibe. It wasn't it wasn't like this is too cool for me, or you know, I'm too cool for this, or something. So what yeah. happened
1: when you when you broke at, when you guys started playing? Well, I was going like, say like regular kind of mainstream. Roles. Well, what well, you know, the, I guess the thing is is like we had all this stuff in our act that was
3: like you know at the, almost running the risk of being like kind of. Uh, Prop comic-y. Okay. Like, we had these, you know, we had these big paper mache hands that we did, and that we did this very elaborate choreographed dance to, to one of our songs, this song called Number Three. And it was, you know, it was, I mean, that really loosened things. It was, it was, I mean, we were not, we were, we were definitely... uh you could not take us too seriously after right. we did that um part of the show but what happened very quickly is that once we the, the big trend, you know the big challenge was going from being like a cabaret act where it seemed like breaking the ice was the gig mm-hmm. to being like a like a legit touring musical act in the world of like alternative rock which was had its own a whole other kind of self-seriousness going on and you know, I mean, that was you know drunken college nights for a lot of people. For, for absolutely, but it also was, you know, it was the beginning of, you know, indie cred. Right. And um, what was tricky about our show is that we we realized that if we did any of these things that were prop based, we would just become it would our show could quickly become like a Rocky Horror picture. Yeah, I thing. think we
4: we uh, when we first toured. America we just we turned it into a two guys songs with a tape recorder kind
1: of an act and yeah we actually threw
3: out all the props like in a very in in it was a, it was a very conscious decision to just no longer have any of that stuff and i you know truth of the matter is like we lo- we personally like that stuff but we didn't want it to we we didn't want it to become a ritual. I guess is the sure. a, a friend of mine was talking about like the difference between like the first time Pete Townsend smashed the guitar and like the <laughs> second the second time Pete Townsend smashed the guitar and like it's it's really a world of difference. You know like the first time you experience it, it's like oh man, that's mind blowing. Right. And the second time, it's like. Well, that's sort of something
1: else. Oh, I guess yeah.
3: he, I guess he knew he was
1: gonna do that. You know? Yeah. You can't, you can't really surprise people with the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. But exactly. Is, it's so interesting to see how I think that's, I think Colton is sound Yes, Jonathan art. Colton yeah. Yeah, pounding is pounding away. Uh, love, by the way, great job! I mean, his this his new album is. Um, you guys did an amazing job. Oh, thank when, you. Was that was that just was that John, done? John, yeah, yeah. John, yeah, yeah. John, I did it my copious free time. It's so funny! <laughs> to, I, I, it's so funny to see Colton with a band. I mean, I'm so used to doing shows with him. It's just like, oh, Jonathan with guitar, right, maybe right. Paul. Storm in the bag, right? Right, but um, and you know, like single musician guitar music doesn't always blow up to this, and he you did an amazing job, yeah. This well, he, you band. know, it, it really,
3: I just you know tried to sort of follow wherever he wanted to take it, yeah.
1: Yes. Hold on a second.
4: We're
1: uh, in the middle of a thinning
4: shake here. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. i have got a lot of got a lot of covers for you, Anna. Great. Uh, you must
1: be signing 2000
4: covers. Yeah, I think so. So, okay. these are these are these are done.
1: These are oh. not done. Okay. These are done. I'll take these. That's what I need. For. Okay. How's it that you're able to sign all these and then go play an accordion and not have to uh, uh, no? rub liquid painkiller on your hand? Yeah, no, it's it's uh Well, you, if you look at my sloppy
4: signature, you can see I'm not I'm not hurting myself too much <laughs> here. Welcome
1: back, John Fletcher. Sorry about that. There's That's about all right.
4: half of those LPs are done, the ones that are out of the yeah. box. But well, I, 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 mean, can, I, have
0: I can heard finish heard. them up. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Because uh, I have what I need for tonight, at least.
1: Very so. good.
2: Time.
1: I saw you guys at Royce Hall a few years ago. Yep. And um, that was... I mean, I've seen you, I think, four or five times. And uh, the Royce Hall show was was amazing. And i it was the first time that I had ever heard you define what some of your music is as fact-based songs.
3: Oh, uh-huh. And Wait,
1: what, was it a kid's show? No, it was... Um, no, no, no. It was... Uh, you You did Lincoln. Oh,
4: okay. Right. Um, I, th- yeah, I think that expression, well, first of all, was either ironic or... Or pointing out, pointing out the glaring fact that our supposedly fact-based material is riddled with factual errors. You know, <laughs> so so yeah. I mean, we. I think you know. Again, just to come back, like, I know you have a, a larger point to make about that, but but um, but we we're really not a fact-based band. We're we're you know. Yeah. We're, but
1: some of them just we're
4: a fiction-based yeah.
1: band. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I never. I, well, because I just thought when I was. Uh, I, I, I that was a, a character saying. That, that was, right. but but the reason that the reason that it resonated with me is because uh, I have a musical uh, comedy duo, uh, not unlike the Paul and Storm, and the first handful of songs we were writing were just about science, like in the '90s. Like we wrote a song about the carbon cycle. We wrote a song about the numerical value of pi. And I didn't I didn't really know what it was that we were doing. But when you said fact based songs, I was like, oh my god,
2: that's what. That's,
1: well, you know, we, we early on were identified because we did
4: basically two biographical songs. I think that because that was such an unusual thing, that immediately people hooked on to this thing. Oh, these guys write songs that are, that are biographical. they write biographies, you know. We had a, we had a song about uh, um, James K. Polk and a song about James Ensor, <laughs> and that was enough. And people thought, yeah. oh, "Oh, this is what this." But even like uh, even Ensemble, which
3: is a really uh, it's a cover, or like a song like um, Why Does the Sunshine, which is also a, a, like a science a science song from our childhood. I have some. Oh,
1: science songs. Some someone posted all of those High Zeret songs. Right, right. Uh, and they had and I went to it. Before I came here, I was like, I wonder if that's still up. He had just had them in, on LPs and just digitized them, right? Yeah, no, I know, I know. And it, and I, I went there to get them, and it was like, this This is should give you an idea of how long ago how old it was. This Geo City site is no longer yeah, it's like it was like on some... Well, I, I was okay. actually trying to recover a version of uh, the, uh,
3: the Shooting Star song when we, we did a cover of that um, years back. And um, and I found that site, and it yeah. really was like it's like looking at some really
1: embryonic code. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like the user group yes. loves, right. loves right. this. Are these an aug vorbis? What yes. That, what are they? yes. But it was just like energy and motion songs, and then an album of science songs. Yes. An album yes. of yes. weather songs. They made like four of them. Yeah. Like the Like Dottie I Evans. Mean, there were different and...
3: artists.
4: um uh, and Miranda did the did the weather songs. Yeah. I think I would...
3: think those projects were like you know they really fired up the. Super strong coffee and just like charged forward into the recording studio. I mean, the strange thing about that, um, uh, What is the Sunshine song, is that the actual text is from an encyclopedia and the melody is from an Irish folk song. So it's it's really just this kind of um, confabulation of an original song. Even though to us, like we think of it as like this sort of text of, of They Might Be Giant's Nest, it's, um, it, it, it's almost kind of phoned in, in a certain, <laughs> certain and at the time yeah, yeah we got a
1: couple session musicians right. yeah, so yeah it's, so it's just like days. guys it's three o'clock we've only done seven of these and Hi Zaret the same guy who wrote Why Does the Sunshine also wrote Unchained Melody which yeah. I think is yeah, right. yeah. A- amazing
3: yeah he wrote a b- he had a bunch of hits he had some other what was he he had one other big hit one other really big hit that right. everybody knows uh, it was very uh, Google worthy. Yes, I
1: know in the movie Ghost, the famous pottery scene it was between "Why Does the sunshine and "Unchained Melody," and they were like, <laughs> "It just doesn't play as well." Right. With "Why Does the sunshine? Shine," um, you guys have done a ton of. Uh, you guys have done a ton of. Oh, was no, all right. No. You guys have done a ton of uh, uh, songs for, for music and television, and, mm-hmm. and is that is that is that sort of a different mode that you guys go into?
4: Um, it well you know sometimes we are hired to be they might be giants and I am mean, obviously that's like the most groovy and gratifying gig is if they if they get us to do our thing, there's really every different flavor of doing that kind of commercial work you know sometimes we we are we are really in in the dungeon of make it sound like this. Oh, right. And that you don't actually like. Yeah. No. <laughs> we've, done, we've done lots of faceless sound-alikes, you know. And and some of them are actually, are,
3: you know, it can be fun to do, you know, if you get if you get some... For a long time, we did music for uh, Play-Doh, and we did music for Diet Dr. Pepper. Uh-huh. And, oh, but, really? And, I didn't know that. And, and both, of those, both of those jobs were... I mean, they never had our name on it. Like, and often, right. you know... Um, but, you know, some of this stuff just played like crazy... Um, And uh, I mean, it was was great. It was great stuff. It was a great gig.
1: Um, Definitely kept us from being broke. Well, but but also something like you know Malcolm in the Middle, where they go, well, that's very. We want to put your music all over the show because you sort of embody this kind of like the music. Really, I mean, I can't I can't think of who else would have been suited for that show.
3: Yeah, that they they were very gung ho when we started with them about about sort of. um, Incorporating our sound into the uh, thing, and we did. We spent a couple of years doing incidental music for them, so that was a big, a big assignment. And we did all the music for the Daily Show as well. And I don't think I don't think a lot of people realize that like the the orchestral cues are stuff that we put together.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Did I notice you guys covering Paranoid with
4: the Avatars? Yes, yes. Well, we're always looking for a good song for the Avatars to um, to cover. And we did it, we actually did a, we, we, we spent a little, we worked pretty hard on a cover of Midnight Train to Georgia um, <laughs> with with the um, the um, Meg Ryan puppet oh. doing the lead vocal. And I, I liked it, but it, I think it sort of felt like it, it was a little... I don't know. Yeah, I think the paranoid is, is actually has a nice, has a better uh, vibe to it. Well, so not only does it, it, it
1: do we lock this? Jack- it, are you locked out? Oh, sorry, it's just like retarded. No,
4: that's not. <hard. laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing to to figure out. You know, I mean, you have to kind of do it in order to know what is what's a good. You know. What's a good way to do? It's very weird to do a puppet show in the middle of our show because it's not—it's <laughs> it's so ill-defined. It's like it's so unclear what the hell it is or what it's supposed to be, you know. But I think that's so what we're, we're still casting around in a way to find. Uh, you know, yeah, but to I think what, it, just lives.
1: from a fan's point of view, I mean, uh, I, I so I feel like I understand what, you know, at least I feel like I understand what you guys are about, so when you do stuff like that I just go, yes, this is exactly oh, oh, what I, I would... I
4: mean, I think the idea of it on paper is like, yes, yeah. puppet show, fantastic. I'll go see any band that does that. But but what you actually do with it is sort of, it's so unclear, like the tra- the trails are not marked <laughs> in the forest, you know. Like, well,
3: I mean, I guess, you know, you know, one thing about the a lot of the raps with the puppets is that we really... I mean we really enjoy well it's like a lot of things that we in in what we do which is that I, I sort of feel like we're doing it for ourselves because it really actually lets us get outside of ourselves and the puppets end up spending a lot of time like we sort of experiment with different ways that the puppets can like insult or accuse me and John of like very yeah. like they're okay. very angry Good characters they're very angry characters and it's it's really delightful for us to not just be like I guess you, you, you know the thing about being a performer, and you know, uh, is the thing about being a performer is you might be very animated by the material and the ideas inside, like the work that you're presenting, but you might not really want it to be so much about like what a great guy you are, or like you know what I mean, like like right. you know, in like a world right. of people, like you know, and I and I you know I, I'm I could pick out a million different mainstream performers who are really like it's about saying like the message is isn't it great being with me you know right. that, like me, or, or or also that you aspire to be this right. kind of person it can be like a hero worship thing or it can be like a or it can be like a an, there's a million shades of it but it's right. all but it's all about like you know you know i'm your teddy bear or i'm your you know i'm your your funny brother or i'm your like, yes. I, like i'm i'm somebody that you can identify in some way that feels comfortable and and like just being, you know, sharing this celebratory thing is like this comfortable thing, and the thing that's great—the the Bieber sector. Yeah, exactly. So the, <laughs> the great thing about having like a puppet show, like that we've created, is it really smashes that. In this, you know, it's taking this form that's really, by its nature, just incredibly cozy. You know, it's a it's a it's a puppet
1: show. So how 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 mean spirited can a puppet show be? Well, not only that, but I, I would imagine that as performers, it's sort of it just. It just helps you keep your show fresh. This Jonathan Colton is loud. Can you
3: believe this young? <laughs> oh, no. We, we only go after
4: ourselves. We yes. leave everybody else at you know.
3: I'm saying right Colton right Jonathan Colton
4: This
1: Jonathan Colton right now is yes. loud.
4: Oh, he is oh, I think you're being the puppets. No, 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 no.
1: Hypothetically I'm sorry, I was, I was, insulting I was, I our you were I doing was, a very good puppet for Yeah, us. yeah. yeah. I, because I, that's I, exactly how the puppets I talk. I broke There's the myth no for difference. a second to, right. to, to, okay. just, to reference right. Jonathan Cole. But, Got it. but I think it, just as a performance, it just sort of opens you up to, to keep your material fresh and, and and play around with the show. Oh, absolutely. Uh,
4: absolutely. Well, you know, think talking about this, it makes me realize there is a tradition, and it's a weird one, of people, not with puppets, but with um of you know, ventriloquist dummies to be that you know that usually the the puppeteer is a sort of like Hi, how's it going? And then the, right. the dummy is this like right. weird id creature. It's <laughs> yeah. coming from the guy. Go- you know, it's like right. his his worst impulses
1: are being expressed. Yeah,
3: I think that's you it's know. exactly the same. It's, it's bad, basically yeah. it's,
1: you know, we might we might as well have them on our laps. Did I did I read somewhere online correctly that there might be an Avatars of A album? We started working on some, some of the tracks <laughs> for them. You know, part of it is that there's a sort of a
3: general thirst for just doing different kinds of projects. Right. And um uh, and it's just—it's just a way to do different stuff. I mean, one thing that's nice about doing Avatar stuff is that it's by definition two voices. Yeah. So um, it's an—we can kind
1: of write thinking like, what can what what's good for writing for two voices. Well, and what's also interesting about that is that you know, just uh, sometimes when you first start out, I think when you first start out writing, it's hard, particularly in comedy. Like, well, I don't really know who I am and what I want. But if I were to picture us like uh, a a single dimensional character.
2: Oh, yeah. outside myself, oh, well, I know
1: how to write from that point of view and it just makes it a little bit easier and and more fun oh absolutely and I mean that's the thing that's you, you know I've had a lot, actually had lots of
3: conversations with with Jonathan colton about this idea which is the idea of writing a song about yourself is very is seems very strange um but writing a song from like sort of an unreliable character point of view is very very easy but what's weird is that when you start getting into this John Updike thing where like the unreliable character ha- bears a st- striking resemblance to right. yeah. a- <laughs> you exactly you know or, or even more yeah. like a Philip Roth well that's yeah that's thing. a popular <laughs>
4: thing in fiction yeah. that that idea and that, that comes up in all sorts of ways I don't reasons.
1: understand rock music that writes songs I've never understood how you write a song about rock music like that's such a weird so many rock bands are like
2: this is rock music you're listening like from the 70s oh, like, oh, Zach, right. yeah, yeah, like they
1: yeah. were basically just singing about the thing that they are doing to the but audience that seems completely harmonious in a way the, i guess
4: is. but i don't
3: know like um
4: you know i was i was i was watching an interview with the guy
3: i don't even know the guy's name the guy who who replaced bon scott in acdc right um and he was talking about, you know, he, I mean, he had like the weirdest gig in the world. Like he had to replace right. this guy that everybody liked who just happened to die. Right. You know, so it's just like, good luck with that. You oh, know? I'm
2: sorry I'm not your dead <laughs> right. friend. To,
1: like, <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> right. it's like everybody's cool with that though, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, this and, uh, is what he would have wanted. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll yeah. never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: but... But you better not fuck that up. So, so, like, but, you know, he wrote the the, the words to the uh, You Shook Me All Night Long. I guess that's essentially, like, was one of the earliest things he ever did for that band. Right. And it was like a screed. Like, it had, like, had like a cajillion words to it. And, I mean, it's a really clever song, and it's exactly... I mean, when you think about AC, like who are AC/DC as a, like as a band? Like that's like that is right. That is them. And I mean, I guess you could you know, there are, there are certainly Bon Scott songs that would be there, but like it has all the moving parts of right. exactly what AC/DC is about, and it is just a like we're gonna rock song, but it's so. But I mean, it's kind of a testament to how awesome AC/DC is because of the texture of it. It's incredibly rich, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it just goes and goes and goes. I mean, because they've got an awful lot of rocking
1: to do. They
2: and it, they still have <laughs> yeah, a bit yeah. of
1: rocking. Oh and, yes, they, they're because they're made of they're made of the rock. And the schoolboy outfit just gets funnier and funnier, like each year. Oh yeah,
4: yeah. I saw them they when get he was more beautiful. I think right? he was he was seventeen when I when I first saw them, and, and it wow. wasn't it actually wasn't that he was just wearing his same schoolboy outfit that
1: he wore in <laughs> two year, two years earlier or whatever. Yeah, he's tiny. Yeah, it's, it was actually his schoolboy outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I still fit in this. I might have called yeah, yeah. this game. No, no, thing. I think he, that's. Yeah. He was crazy young when they started. Do you feel pressure yeah. when when people go see a They Might Be Giants show? I think they always expect stuff, you know, like a lot of different stuff and a lot of um, a lot of stuff coming at them. Do you feel pressure to have to keep like raising the stakes? I think on it, shows? I think
4: the pressure comes from us, you know, that we we sort of feel like you know, it's it's not, it doesn't get any easier to make up songs and we're our worst, you know, our meanest critics, I think. I, I don't think we, we're not very clued into what the audience, I mean, I think we, that's maybe an advantage that we have is like we, we don't actually quite know what people are thinking, you know, but we certainly know what we think, you know, and, and um, we we are, John and I are both pretty, uh, pretty goddamn hard on ourselves. Yeah. yeah,
3: I think it's somewhere in the mid-90s, which might have been a period where, like, people who really like the most manic stuff that we did, um, I think there was a point where we realized that we weren't boring people, and I think we were before. There was a point where we we probably were annoying a lot of people, but we were worried <laughs> about boring people, right. very, very in a very direct way. Like, we had very short attention span, not because, you know, just because uh, we're just nervous guys, right? I think, you know, and uh, and. And we were we were nervous, guys. We were drinking a lot of coffee. We were slightly scared by being on stage in a pretty essential way, and uh, we just didn't want to take up too much time. You still felt space. that into
1: the '90s, really? We know
3: how to do what we're doing, and we know, and it's and like we, I think we have a really good sense of like you know personal true north. Mm-hmm. But I, but I don't. We don't make many assumptions about what. You know, we're not we're, you know, we're not deeply in love with ourselves. I think like we are as insecure as as as
1: uh, as most people are. I just I I think it was you know, your explosion in the 80s was very empowering for people like myself, just like young nerdy kids, comedy fans looking for something different, looking for something interesting and going, "Oh my god, two really smart guys can make something that is different than everything else."
3: I think if we came along, you know, I think
1: I think the world is 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 a much
3: friendlier place to people like us like just even working within the record label thing it was very hard for us to feel like uh there was a natural place for us to land there cuz there there was not a lot of there wasn't a lot of precedent and I'm not I'm not you know this I'm I'm not trying to make like some kind of humble brag I'm actually trying to to it, it was it was a it was it was a kind of a sucky time I mean part of it was like for alternative rock in general it was a sucky you know even if you were Husker Du and you were just like awesome in every rock way or the replacements or you know know, take all those bands of, of that generation there was a whole world of rock bands that really did not want to give up of established bands That didn't want to give up Their market share You know Right And it's like They were working You know Rod Stewart was on the road He had like <laughs> Top 40 hits And like Every And all those You know The the guys who were editors At Rolling Stone Like They knew him Like everybody Everybody was getting along Like everything's cool like Nobody was particularly Happy to see uh, You know A bunch of You know Alternative rock band Whatever it was Whatever version of it It was Right
4: I think the other thing is, like, we probably felt, I mean, just the way that people were responding to it, which was, oh, here's this really interesting, quirky... I think that, you know, we we got some feedback at the time, which was, like, we are quirky and oddball and, you know, and obviously, like, sort of, as John was saying, like, we're kind of, like, hyperactive and, you know, I mean, it's less true now than it was then, but... but um but because, we, because but, we're tired but, now. but our sense of what we were, <laughs> yes, <and> that's implicit. <laughs> what I'm saying, um, but our sense of what we were doing was actually not that that we sort of felt like, you know, I think there was a perception by a lot of people that like, we were this successful um, um, kind of stink bomb or something. Like you know, that we were doing something just in opposition to other stuff. And as far as we were concerned, we were like not quite succeeding at being something more. Ambitious. Ambitious,
3: yes. Well, it sort of gets back to that Firesound Theater thing of like being self-defined. Like the rock world was this culturally dominant thing. It wasn't, you know, we live in this fantastic world now where there's so many different things going on and everybody kind of celebrates this tremendous cultural diversity and it's like whoa you're into like snowboarding and listening to ukulele music at the same time like that's <laughs> what I do you know I and can like, find
1: those right, other thousand right, people exactly,
3: exactly. so there's a, the world of sort of niche things is much more celebrated now you know it took me a really long time to re- even understand like the word geek the way it's used now sure. because like Well, to me, like, geek is just like the word that was being muttered by the guy, like, punching me in the face. Yeah, yeah. When I was being bullied in junior high school. You Mm -hmm.
1: know, it was was not like there was no like. It wasn't wasn't like a celebratory thing. No, no, I grew up in the 80s, and I I mean, and I, that it was the same thing then. Um, And and certainly there's a lot of, you know, talk between, you know, what's a nerd, what's a geek. You know, I know this show's called The Nerdist, but, but also, nerd is also a completely, you know, overused. Turner right now but and i do say like i always tell people like it was really not a cool thing in the 80s like it was it was a word that sort of kept you in your place right and it's interesting to is that that we've
4: actually now reached a point where you have to say that you know that right it's not i feel like it wasn't so long ago that it was there was this kind of like yeah nerd have you heard nerd is cool yeah and, <laughs> and, now, and now it's just like the the Pure pejorative seems to be completely buried, you know. Like, yeah, like nerd was not something anyone aspired to be. No, it was, yeah. it was pretty it was bad. Like, it would like, it, it would be like wanting to be an asshole or something, or like, a, you know, a loser. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, the the larger
3: point I was trying to get to is that the idea of uh, um, trying to be kind of beyond category was something that we were. That was actually what we were ambitious about, and that was very tangible to us. That like we could. We could do thing. We could really float between styles and genres, and it's not just a pastiche. It's actually original music with original ideas. And you might feel like, oh, this kind of thing is familiar, but still, it's being set up in a way that's sort of jarring, and and,
4: uh, well, it's and just, original, you know, some... just
3: trying to do something singular. Yeah,
4: yeah, and good. I mean, that that was you know even more than that. It was something that someone would hear and, and hear some particular subtlety that we'd put in there that was the kernel of truth and brilliant Oh, now that's an interesting point. You know. but,
3: but most people
4: when they hear a band like us
3: they'll really latch onto the pastiche part of it mm-hmm. and right. think oh you're involved in musical parody oh i get i know what that is or, or you know or just like it has comedy in it so like that's like this nitroglycerin that blows up all artistic validation it's just like oh how could it be more than just a linear thing that makes you go, "Ha!" Huh.
1: I never thought end. of it as comedy. I always thought but, of it as but, just a whole separate got, universe. But you, of... you got—I
3: mean, you like—you liked
1: it, but like you know, I think—I think the you know the world uh, disagreed. I can't—I can't imagine. <laughs> well, that, I think that's just businesses trying to market stuff, and then right, they, you know, and they yeah, don't. Yeah. You know, well, you, we, we feel we want, <laughs> on behalf of the band, we want to apologize to anyone who's ever had to market us you can't you can't you can't explain to a marketer like wow what am i supposed to put on my spreadsheet like well it's unique and it's our voices and this is who we are right i don't i gotta i don't know it's a problem that
4: we i mean it's it's a it's a problem for us because we were very involved in the marketing of ourselves and it was always a big question like how do you you know we, we we had long discussions early on about whether we should be using our own faces you know our image uh, you know or what how, What? Do, how do you like you know there's certain bands you admire that that uh, don't ever use their own image at all like Slipknot a, you know re- the residents the residents you know
3: but that, yeah I mean that was actually something that you know this the idea of not having our faces was something that we really seriously considered but then we realized how beautiful we were <laughs> and we just couldn't
1: did you? Do you? Well, I feel like it's important for people to be able to relate to. I mean, maybe that's just a now thing. I, I I like doing that with. There's
4: certain other bands. I feel like it's actually it is important. There's like maybe if there's like seven guys in the band, that and and this is kind of a memory that Chicago back needed is Peter Cetera. That's all. You yeah, have the experience of sitting, listening to the music while holding the album cover and looking at each guy, and going, "Oh yeah, that's the, that's the slightly shorter version of the guy who looks like the other
1: guy." Yeah. Is, He's got, you know, bad teeth. That, that old Doobie Brothers album where it's just all of them, you know, because there were 100 Doobie Brothers. Yeah, right. exactly. But
3: I think there's, a, you know, there's a big distance between, like, fandom or even, like, you know, what you aspire to be. Like, I think one thing we found out about, you know, we we were, we worked for a lot of years before we even made our first album. And we started in, we did just a, you know, a handful of shows in 82, but really started in 83. And we didn't really finish a first album until the end of 87. So there was, many years of like doing lots of live shows and figuring out I think we've actually there were a lot of ideas that we were interested in that we realized we weren't that good at too and that was pretty valuable like we were not catapulted into success very
1: early on so we 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 sort of flourish in obscurity just uh well what was the what what was the sort of goal at that point when you because when you take you know five or six years to make your first album like what are you you thinking this is well we arrived in new york at the height of this very what is
3: now this sort of lost to the time like uh the the no wave period of new york punk rock Mm -hmm. which was probably like the least successful uh Component of like the new wave explosion, but like that, they were they were very big. There was a moment where they were very considered very cool bands, like the James White and the Blacks and the Contortions and DNA and Lydia Lunch, and they were very super noisy. Like the noise, like think of like you know industrial music without a beat, kind of like very very noisy and like and basically people hated this stuff. Like they hated it, but we were the exact you know we were twenty one twenty two coming from, like, college towns into New York as young people. And it was, that was the stuff, you know, that was what was going on. Um, and when we started doing stuff, like, other bands, other guys we knew who were in bands, you know, they did, you know, they were, like, we had a friend who was, like, in an industrial band, and that was, like, sort of, like, a screamy, there was a lot of screamy stuff. Right, a lot of noise happened. Because then also
4: this sort of notion, the New York component was that it had a kind of an art quality, you know. Like. Oh, yeah. Like the, you know, like, um, yeah, the Ardo Lindsay sort of, you know, combination of music, noise, and some kind of artistic patina that, that was even a little bit hard to work out. Like, what. Like,
1: but are you, are you thinking at this point, like, did it, were, you, were you thinking, like, N- we're going to be able to pull all this together and make a living out of this somehow? I think
4: and, we're just figuring out, like, is oh,
3: there
1: yeah, a way to. Could...
4: Yeah, we never thought this is a way to make money. I think that, that we were determined. Really, to get at something that was, that was, you know, that we, we were we were fully you sound aware like sociopaths. Like,
3: no, 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 no we man. were hell bent on not making. No, 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 that's something I was going to say. <laughs> no, sorry, I,
4: I, I was going to say we were we were very focused on this thing that that was divorced from making money, and we had jobs. You know, we we had other jobs, so we had this idea like this is a thing that we can do that, you know. Hopefully, it can sustain itself, and we can think of cheap ways to. You know, it was like a, it was, a lot of it was about economy. You know, like we made we made those flexi discs. Yeah, uh, they cost like a dollar a piece. You know, which was crazy, or less than that. Flex, they were like twenty cents. A piece. Yeah, they were super cheap, and uh, you know, um, just we just did a lot of legwork on our own. Even even up to the point where we were kind of um, thinking about ways to market. Like once once we. Once we made a record and it and it and we became aware of college radio and this notion of an audience outside of New York, we think, well, this is something you know we could sell it, and, we, and it turns out there's something called college radio that allows us to, you know, that we we were on the college radio charts. That's how we found out um, about it. Um, so we we you know we made a video and we just it was just made for the cost of. Um, uh, well, we didn't pay for the film. Was I that for know,
3: what? Was this for Don't Let's Start? We paid for the the first thing we did. We worked with this great guy who I really should reach, out, figure out where he's living, and talk to him. Um, this guy Adam Bernstein, who he ended up uh, he was the director on the very first Thirty Rock. He did he he also did the Love Shack video. Um, he's did a lot of he did he also did uh, I like big butts that I would have yes you know of he did that video. Um, so mixed but he, a lot he was working at Nickelodeon just like you know probably he was he was younger than us so he was probably you know in his early 20s but he was very ambitious working at this at Nickelodeon Nickelodeon was a tiny affair and uh, he had he just had ambitions to become a rock music director and uh, you know uh, rock videos had only been going for like two years. But the they were already it was already quite established like that it would be like all the things that were stinky about rock videos were already like firmly
1: in place. Oh, those early rock videos yeah. are so I mean, even when you guys were playing Paranoid, I was like, I wonder if there's a music video for Paranoid and I looked it up and it's just Black Sabbath from nineteen seventies standing in a space where they would keyed in weird dot oh, like, yeah, mannequin yeah. No, head images, that. but they're not even—they're so not dynamic in any way. Right. He's just standing there, and it's like, oh, they just shot these guys playing in a rehearsal space. Yeah. That those were music videos before. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so
3: you know, we basically just—what's interesting about the the rock video thing—and I realized that you know, we just did this video for uh, "When Will You Die." That uh, the art director for the album did this time lapse video. Um, of the creation of this monster hearse car that we have on the cover of the album. He basically built this 14-foot paper version of it and uh, just documented the whole thing. And it has, a, it has an arc to it in the way that viral videos do. Mm-hmm. And it very much is in that vocabulary of viral videos. And what's funny about it is it has, it's a scenario. like It has a beginning and it has an end. And I don't, and when we were coming up in the rock music thing, like the only videos that had scenarios were the really bad ones. And it's just, and it's just a funny thing to, to just generationally have lived so long to see. And I think part of it is that, you know, people go to film school now. People like know what a storyboard is, you know, I remember presenting like a storyboard to, I was doing a directing job. And I had a bunch of storyboards for a rock video of just like things that I wanted to do. And the cameraman was like, "Can we just, you know, can we just shoot? Like, why don't we just, have, you know, can have fun? You know, like, it's like the idea of doing a rock
1: video is like that it was, just kind of, the better ones were the ones that were kind of breezy." Well, you could always, you could always tell. I mean, in, in, as unique as the music was, you could always tell whether they might be giants' video. You always knew there was going to be some special thing about it, and it wasn't even. They were just, just simple, just like shooting under the grating of Anna Hang right. well, that,
3: or that, it was that like all that stuff. Adam Bernstein had a very, very very good sense of cinematography and a very good sense of where to put the camera and we had a good sense of sort of art direction and and had a sort of restricted palette idea, you know, and in some ways, the, the sum total, and I think, ends up feeling a lot more like a hard day's night than we ever expected it to be because a lot of it was in black and white, but also a lot of it was, you know, we were trying to avoid lip
2: syncing mm-hmm.
3: and the only other thing that's like that is Hard Day's Night you know like like all there are all these sequences in Hard Day's Night where the Beatles are not lip syncing because they were doing it on the cheap and really fast and to lip sync in a non-studio you know if they were going to shoot outside then they don't need lights right but if you shoot outside how are you going to sync sound it's like yeah, we'll just dance around so like you know that's we found ourselves you know strangely in the you know same same situation I think the spirit of that is actually really winning but uh it's it's kind of, I don't think there are any other parallel. I don't think anybody you know you do never see Rod Stewart running around in a field, <laughs> not
1: not singing his lyrics. Yes, not singing his lyrics. <laughs> uh, I think, I can of any other band. I I can imagine that you guys have the most. Uh, misinterpreted lyrics. I would imagine people are constantly like, "Oh yeah, that one song is re- about this." You're like, "Really? I don't, that's not really what we intended at all." But there, do, there do seem to be a lot of dense layers in what you guys are writing. Well, you
4: know, I, I guess you know this is something that we've said, but it bears repeating: is there's a lot of lyrics which are just what they are, and they're they're you know they're they might seem oblique, but it's really what you what you hear is what you get, you know. In, in, in many cases and there isn't some code or secret message you know it's, it's very entertaining to hear people's impressions of songs and it's like it's really about trilateral <laughs> right
3: yeah, yeah you, you know. I mean a lot <laughs> of the, a lot of the more far-flung ones really have this kind of like you know animal farm right quality it's like some to them
4: simple allegory like this thing represents this you know. This song's really about right. the Bay of Pigs. Well, yeah, I don't think we've is. ever written a song where one thing represents some other specific thing that isn't mentioned in the
1: song. But I think that's we, great. We, that should, should we, probably, a, we should probably figure out how to do that. <laughs> I mean, you could—you you, know—it was fun as, as the band who made those songs. You could create it. Just sort of—it's sort of—it's it, just part and parcel of the mythos of they might be giants. Like, but oh. see, we're
4: not. But we're not in on the mythos. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> as. You know, in a way this is the curse of, of, you know, actually doing the thing is like we we don't we know exactly what this stuff is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it can be you know, you can
3: realize like that's just that was all we could do,
1: you know. (laughs) (laughs) We could have we could have done a better job. It could have been a more complete idea. So you, you have this, uh, Join Us is the yeah. last album, which is actually an album I'm holding in my hand. Yes, it's actually a, a vinyl... It's a gatefold Record. Album. Yeah. Well, these are
3: very popular. Gatefold. I mean, they're sort of souvenirs, um, in a way, for people who come to shows,
1: but they are beloved. and uh, I think they're, I mean... It's cool. First of all, turntables are surprisingly expensive. If you, if you see a turntable in a, in a store, you see them online, they are hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And you'd think, oh, it $20 for an old Oh, you can still but you
3: can buy a crappy uh, you know. I would recommend the mark. I would go yeah. to the uh, Crowley. Check out the Crowley product, the Pride yeah. of China. You can get you that.
4: can get very cheap uh, turntables. I mean, they really can... I love new make. records.
1: This is this is this is what I think, you know, people don't get this experience anymore of actually smelling like a new vinyl record. And it's something I always love well, to do it's, as it's a Well, it's one of the only parts of the uh, music business that's not
3: hemorrhaging, you know, that's not throwing up through
1: its eyes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like an episode of House. <laughs> it's not lupus. It's not lupus. It's just the music industry.
4: Um, but my, yeah, my wife bought a, a thing that costs 50 bucks. That's a
1: turntable with a USB cable sticking out. That's all it is. But it's, oh, so you can burn. Yeah, energy. It's yeah, always more. one of the one that was the little van, and you'd put it on the record, and then the thing would drive around and play the... What? Play the, you ever saw those? No. I feel like that was a 70s or 80s phenomenon. You get, could get out of here. You would get like a little vehicle, and it had a needle on it, and you set it on the record, and it would just and drive around in circle. No, the record stays still. Get the
4: fuck out of here. Yeah,
1: there. yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to put it on. So wow. You have to put it on a, you know... A little spindle, but then it just the car just drives around and there's a speaker on it that, and it just you know, plays that the. Is I wild, think if, man. if you could make a, blue, a
2: Bluetooth
4: version of that,
1: now, <laughs> now we're now talking, we're in business. I feel like the technology is it's, there. Yeah, it's it's yeah, a simple yeah. trip to the Radio Shack,
2: right?
3: So it's a little car that runs around in a circle, just yeah. guided by it's, the groove. It's guided by the groove,
1: yeah. And it, I mean, the sound quality is not great. It wasn't. It wasn't ever great, uh, but but, but so, no, but with the right Bluetooth. Then That'd be
4: crazy, could, that badass. Could, that could, be, that could be amazing. So you saying, saying the the charge exists, this thing really existed?
1: It's like this existed, yes. I remember it as being sort of a novelty wow. item for, for people. That and is and Yeah, I'm sure the new old
3: stock eBay purchase is a buy it now for $1,200. How did that even work? I feel like the groove wouldn't would be enough to hold it in place. I don't know. How did any of those, I
1: mean, you know, they, that,
3: I, those FlexiDisc things were so weird.
1: I don't know, think that. it was amazing. <laughs> but, but I also remember, I also remember, um, yeah, was the flexiness, like, the, that was just like the flexi The flexiness just, was made out yeah. of, like, a very thin piece of plastic. It was I remember those.
3: Made, they,
4: yeah, were made, they, sounded, they sounded crappy, and they, and they were stuck into Life magazine.
1: I remember those. They, um, to um, the moon. I had a right. Bloom, did you ever read Bloom County? Did you ever read Bloom County? It's an old comic. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. I know it is. Yeah, yeah. In one of the Bloom County books, the, the Bill the Cat had a band called Billy and the Boingers and they put a little flexi disc Billy and the Boingers thing that you would tear out of the book and then play it and it just
2: just, it sounded weird yeah
1: sounds good once basically um, well, I want to. We this is this has been our hour, and uh, oh, yeah. okay. Goodness. I don't want to keep you because you guys yeah, have yeah. a show.
3: We do, and we're we're um, we're so under we're so it's, unprepared it's, for this. You feel I mean, that way still? Well, we uh,
4: do. We, we don't we're doing, just feel that way. We, just, we are
3: radically, radically <laughs> We're right? not. This is no. This is. <laughs> but not. is
1: that like that's just what you know? No, we're, do, now, no we're doing
3: this. two specialty shows tomorrow. Yeah. So it's basically like we're doing a kids show. We haven't done a kids show in a year and a half, and we certainly have not been like rehearsing our kids material during that year and a half. So there's gonna be you know, twenty five hundred people staring at us, staring at our hands tomorrow. Yeah. And then and then tomorrow night we're playing a Lincoln show at, at uh, Royce Hall. So so and that entails all this other now I went to UCLA we so have, it was very have, special for me we to have see a you there. we have a we have a regular gig that we know how to play. We just happen to be starting off this leg with a uh, the mistake of doing
1: too much how many shows on the tour? Oh, I don't know, like twenty-five or something. Like that. That's not that's not too no, bad. Oh, it's not bad. I don't know. And I saw a bunch of sold outs on there, which is different. yeah, all yeah. everything's selling out, which is uh, which
3: is f- really exciting. You know, um, we've been on the road from the very beginning of the recession till now, and when it first started, it was like going to. We were going to all these venues, and you know, there were certain promoters, especially in the Midwest, were like, "We are getting killed," and we'd get there and like we'd have a really good show. It's like. You know, God bless you guys. <laughs> and and after like a year of shows, we felt like, oh, well, we dodged that bullet. And then coming back out like a year ago, it seemed like, oh, maybe things actually ha- are getting sort of like, you know, the people are settling into this. I'm not going out anymore. I'm too broke thing. And things felt a little soft. But, but, but all of a sudden with this tour, it's totally it's like we're actually, you know, we're doing... Crazy business. It's like we're playing in all these theaters. Like we, we're very used to kind of bobbing in and out between theaters and cities and clubs in towns in yeah. si- like th- smaller cities, um, and it's a li- It's actually a little bit strange because they're really different kinds of shows. Like to do a big theatrical show is a really draws on you know you want to you need to give people a different experience. So like to be ping pong between. Clubs and theaters is just a, is is a bigger challenge. Like by the end of right. this thing, we'll have done like twenty theaters in a row, and I'm sure it'll just seem like uh, you know, it'll just be like an off Broadway show by the end. Of-
1: At the end of those yeah. twenty five shows, do you ever? Oh, you guys, there should be like there should be like a traveling "They Might Be Giants" themed musical show that, w- Oh like Giants on Ice, just something. Like, yeah. Oh, Giants on Ice would be amazing. Well, you know, it would be
3: interesting <laughs> to just like uh, you know, farm it out to some uh, some. Young kids, yeah. and just let them do what so they do. What actually, you
4: know, we, I mean, we like. I feel like in seriousness, we talked to Disney because they have a they have an entire department that's you know whatever thing they're promoting. Yeah. on ice. And I was like, well, you know, we could do that. We had we had these sort of. I think we'd have to be a lot bigger to do. We the had Mars. we had these puppets that were um, that were perfect for sizing up to human, you know, full human size. I gotta wa-
1: tell you, I think, I think like yeah. you know like. Um, like meet the elements or any of that. I think any of that would be amazing on on eyes. I think parents would buy the shit out of those tickets for their kids. <laughs> I mean, like, like I mean, well, you that's know. a message yeah. we have
3: for the parents. You're going to want to buy the buy shit the shit out of this <laughs>
1: for your kids. No, but honestly, like, just just the idea that you know, uh, I don't think we've sworn in the entire hour. And you did. You, you dropped the, the f-bomb earlier. Right? Oh, I did. And I made a mental note of oh. it because I was like, that's awesome. Damn. Good. So I'm not a, I'm not the only filthy uh, person here. Um, but just. You know, I think it's yeah. such a challenge for for people to be able to listen to music with their kids and not want to. I don't have any kids, but I'm guessing, and not want to tear their own eyes out. You know oh, what? Yeah, not yeah. want to tear their own fucking eyes <laughs> out, right? Huh? Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, I, I just kind of up a little
3: bit. Um, High five yeah, no, it, it's a. Uh, it, it was our lucky break that the that the uh, you know gaping vacuum cultural vacuum of, of kids' stuff was there just for to be filled. Um, my friend Divya Srinivasan did some Oh, videos Divya. yeah, Divya.
2: Yes. Oh wow. She, she's she's Yeah.
3: She's great. She did yeah. she's done some great stuff for us. You yeah. know, like I, I love I love the things she did with Damn good times. It was like fantastic. Yeah.
1: How's she doing? I think she, I mean I haven't talked to her for a little while but the la- I talked to her a handful of months ago and she seemed to be doing really well. I mean she you know it's funny she moved to Austin like in the middle of some projects we were doing together and it seemed like I couldn't tell if that was good or bad. I think it's good. Austin's a really good. It's just got a nice like little. Arty, I, I think. I, I think of Boston as being awesome. She 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 seems she seems. I mean, I bet she has this cool little house. Like I don't know right. how many. I don't know how many. You know, towns there are where you could have like a cool little house in a safe area. And, oh yeah, uh, and, yeah, and, you know. yeah. Sure. It's um, like Boys in the Hood, except really. <laughs> <laughs> really laid back. Yeah, really laid back. Yeah. Boys, like, in the condos.
3: Well, just like, like the little house thing is so funny in Boys in the Hood because, like, from, as, if you're from the East Coast, when you see all those little houses, it's like, how bad can it be? You've got a driveway. Yeah. You know, it's like the suburbs, you know. But, I mean, I recognize that that there are parts of L.A. that, People have driveways and freestanding houses, and they're very dangerous places. To well, live. yeah, I mean, it's but it's just on the surfaces. Just,
1: just because you know those areas built out in the you know like you see these houses that you would go oh in the forties this was probably the right. snazzy part of town right, right right and then it just sort of migrated out. But yeah, so just for people mm-hmm. listening, Divya's website is pupae.net. P U P A E and you can yes. see a bunch of your your videos. Oh yeah, on there she's, as well. she's we've done millions of things with her. But also they might be giants.com is another place oh, people yes, should go. Sure, sure, of course. Uh, and at T M B G on,
3: uh, uh, on Twitter. Yeah, it's at T M B G on Twitter and uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter all the time. Doing Excellent stuff making people angry with my left wing politics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not really interested in hearing the political opinions. The loudest
1: voices are the most negative. That's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. But I guarantee you there are, there are more people who are like, yeah, they just don't go out of their way. Oh, I'm, to... counting, I'm counting on the retweets. I'm counting on the retweets. <laughs> this I try a, to keep it good nature. This was a huge honor, and I'm so excited to stick around and see the show. Uh, a lot of Johns on this bill. A lot, a lot <laughs> yeah. of Johns. This yeah, could be the John, the John tour. I know. It's, uh, a, it's sick with Johns. But thank you so much. Hey, for, thank you. Uh, Thanks for pleasure. having us. Oh, my God. Thank you for yep. having me here. Absolutely. Um, enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs>
4: Like to introduce the, song. the song is called When Will You Die.
2: <laughs> I'm so tired. Com. Enjoy your burrito.
1: This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 15% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code NERDIST2. That's NERDIST and the number two. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels.